Parking Podcast is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, the world's largest association for professionals in parking, mobility, and transportation. Learn more at parking-mobility.org. Hello and welcome to the Parking Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the $100 billion parking industry and the people that make it go. I'm your host, Isaiah Mao, and this is the Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. Welcome back to another episode of the Parking Podcast. With us today is Josh Eisen, president of Parking Logics. How are you doing today, Josh? I am doing splendid, Isaiah. Thank you for having me and Parking Logics on the podcast today. We're big fans and we are definitely happy to be here. And being closer to a weekend just makes this all the sweeter. So yes. thank you for having us on. Likewise. And I'm a fan too, because we'll get to this in a minute, but. Uh... Parking Logics also has a parking podcast. So I think there's maybe three or four of us out there. So we have to stay connected. So, my favorite question how did you get into parking um, and wind up with Parking Logics? Well, it's, it's, it's a bit of a long story, but I think I'm going to take a line from Dennis Burns, whom we both know, who says, I didn't get into parking, but found a spot to back into or something like that. Or I found my way to back in. <laughs> I do. Like, Donald Shoup said that too. I, uh, oh, okay. just like everyone so else, I, didn't know I, him I, as well. I backed into, I backed into my parking, backed into yeah. parking. That's great. So, oh, man, this makes me feel old. There was a time in my life I used to be the youngest person on my team, and now I'm the oldest person on my team, which is that sort of inflection point. But about 20 years ago, I had left a job after undergrad where I was doing equity research at an investment bank. And I was quite unhappy, literally showing up to work at 6 a.m. and leaving at 6 or 7 p.m. just covering software stocks all day. Very good, but just wasn't for me to sit behind a spreadsheet for that long. After a few months, I met with, if people on this call know, the present CEO at the time of Standard Parking of Canada, which was a guy named Mickey Naren, who had been in the industry for many years and had built an amazing company up here in Canada. And uh, through a contact with him, he brought me in and I was about 23 years old or 22. And I got the role of director of business development for all of Canada for Standard Parking. With having zero parking experience, parking understanding, aside from just parking my car. So for the first six months, I was trying to sell something I had no idea about. Calling up property managers, asset owners, everywhere across Canada to try and get us in their standard parking. And we were a competitor and still are at the time of Impark, or you're with now, who is also at the time a hugely Canadian-based parking firm and is now global. And so. I was, let's just say, not the most successful salesperson. And then what happened was a person named Chris Johnson, a person who's been in the industry for about 35 years, came up to Canada to assist with the operations. And Chris said, Josh, I'm putting you in operations. He would said it with a much better Oklahoma draw <laughs> yeah, than I would have. I, I know I was, Chris I was, well. I, was, I, can, I, I can imagine this. Uh, it was, it was more like, yeah. Joshua, we're going to put you in operations And I have to say, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So what had happened was, is uh, he, we had like a need for a few high-end class AAA office tenants and managers in downtown Toronto. I had kind of a background where I could whip together spreadsheets or PowerPoints pretty fast. You know, I'd done an undergrad business degree and stuff like that. And I found myself falling in love with parking and operations. I was then about like 23 years old, managing tens of million dollars of parking revenues across a bunch of key assets. 
I had a team of 40 or 50 across five locations. And as soon as I understood what was involved in the day-to-day, I could then call up an asset owner or someone say, instead of saying, this is how we do parking or this is how standard parking does it, I said, come to my lot. Let me show you what I do and how I do it. And Chris was instrumental and still today, one of my favorite bosses I've ever had in impacting me in that parking. That's what really gave me the love. And not to mention, I became a senior manager like right away. And so I got a car allowance. So you give a car allowance to a 23-year-old and honest to God, you think it's God's gift to the world. And so I was as happy as hell, not sitting behind a computer all day, meeting people, driving around, doing different sites and doing audits. And more so, I think it was to be honest, just the responsibility that Chris put in me to allow me to run them the way that he felt I could do it. And so that's what kind of got me in. Man, we have very similar stories. I was in banking, happened to be in the same headquarters as a company called Republic Parking System, you know, stuck behind a booth or a desk all day, pretty miserable. And they said, you know, we hear you're graduating. Why don't you come join our team? And then also I've, in, in some roles, I've been business developments, some in ops and this recent most recent realignment with a company, I ended up with operations and I just love it. I'm an introvert. I, I am creative. I like the proposals. You're an and introvert thinking. hosting a podcast? <laughs> I am very Is that what's going on? Yes, yes. Okay. I can force myself to it, but I love applying my creativity to operations. You know, how do you get the most yeah. cars in your garages and maximize revenues through creative? Because I love it that there's no one size fits all. There's different solutions. One of those being parking logics, which I'm excited to talk about today. So tell us about parking logics. I'm seeing you guys everywhere. I got a really f- nice email from uh, Parking <laughs> Today about open space. It's so cool. I could not believe it how there's no Wi Fi needed or plug and play. So I, I really want to learn more and I want our listeners to learn more about who is Parking Logics and what does Parking Logics do? So Parking Logics was started, or I helped start it about seven years ago. And we're actually, what a lot of people don't know, is a subsidiary of a larger company called the Logics ITS Group. I have a very big sister company called Traffic Logics. And some people on this podcast might know who they are through their traffic division, but they are seven to 10 times the size of Parking Logics and the leaders in North America in providing traffic calming product. So like rubber speed humps and also radar feedback signs. So seven years ago, the CEO approached me saying is, Josh, I'm looking to resell single space guidance solutions from another manufacturer and getting it out into the market. Uh, Prior, I had a role with a very proficient uh, single space parking guidance firm doing at the time ultrasonic and now camera detection. So I knew the market very well. And so when I came to visit uh, the guys, the CEO's name is Louis, in the factory up in Montreal, what I sort of found was I had an in-house sign department that was making radar feedback signs. We had a rubber hump manufacturing firm that literally had eight presses doing hundreds of thousands of units worldwide every year. I sort of did reverse engineering and said, what if we just put sensors into these humps, wireless sensors in the ingress and egress, have them wirelessly speak to signs that we're already manufacturing, and give ourselves a very low cost, low infrastructure, zone count or total availability or ingress and egress system. 
So seeing that there's a lot of demand or understanding or kind of buzz right now about single space stuff, having experience with, you know, much longer sales cycles, and it's a more, call it, uh, let's call it an expensive product. I found there to be need where most people just need a total space or an occupancy availability. So what I think about is parking logics to someone in the industry, I might say, oh, we're a parking guidance firm. But I think I'm very different from other parking guidance firms that focus on single space detection and services, whereas I'm just counting people in and out. So in most cases, I tell people we're a parking counting firm or more of a parking occupancy firm, because what I'm doing is basically two things, is I'm calculating the occupancy of a given lot. And then for many asset owners, I'm just providing the data for decision-making. But on the flip side, I'm also using it to guide parkers to available spaces. So I really feel more truly that we're an occupancy firm. But in the end, to someone who's in our industry, the niche I play in is parking gouting or parking guidance. And so that's what Parking Logics focuses on is basically zone-based counting solutions for indoor or outdoor environments. Which is critical today because every city, university, private operation, they're all about the the dashboards and the data analytics and the smart city systems. And so a lot of times they're intimidated by this because it's it's digging up concrete, laying uh, loops or conduit. So to confirm, you you don't need to do all that with your solution, how you described it. Is that correct? We are basically plug and play, infrastructure free, no power needed, no Wi-Fi needed, no ethernet needed. We have the only solar powered signs in the industry where we can show occupancy on two or more levels with solar panels so that you literally need no power available. And having this kind of infrastructure like solution has actually allowed to a huge benefit or a differentiator versus more, call it invasive counting systems, is that our clients install themselves. And getting back actually to the point where that occupancy data is kind of It's a vital tool for many people, both in the data point and guidance, but it's also really important whether or not you have a free lot, a gated lot, a gateless lot, or whether you just want to get that information. And we're in, I don't know, 12 or 13 different verticals. Most of the time we deal with actually people who aren't parking people. They might be an admin. They might be a real estate. They might be a security professional that just, you know, it's got parking in their wheelhouse. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're handling the access cards. The employees come in the building, but man, this garage gets full. I need to tell them to park somewhere else. We're those guys. And, you know, I, I've worked with some in the past. This is when I was in operations 10, 15 years ago. And some of the problems we had were, you know, someone carrying their suitcase or a bicycle or a big truck driving by. Do you guys have solutions for the for those types of issues? For sure. So The loop counting system has been a huge kind of, I don't want to say a red herring in our industry, but many parks providers obviously provide a count with the loops embedded in order to activate the gate arms for ingress and egress in and out of gated facilities. If you don't have a gated facility, then you're putting in a separate loop that requires power and then a server on site to collect the data and distribute it. So the issue is with loops is the primary focus of a loop-based system is not really to count a car, but it's to detect a car or detect a car's presence so that a gate ticket can be vended, a gate can be opened, and then another loop to close the gate. So from that, they're looking to pick up a metal signal. 
we design our sensors, which are magnetometers, battery powered, you know, they last uh, three to five years. We just put them on the ground. But the idea is, is the sole purpose of my sensors is to count cars. I'm looking at the metallic uh, sort of signature of the vehicle. So you will not count a bicycle. You will not count a shopping cart. You, in some cases, we can adjust it so golf cart don't get picked up and cars too. But the idea is, is I am only here to count cars. And that is my only purpose in life, as opposed to loops that might be picking up that induction. So we have hundreds of university installations now. And it would key the fact that we don't pick up bicycles because you have many students using alternative modes in and out of lots for other parking places where that will not impact the car count with our system. And what's also sort of built from that is we have different, let's call it use cases or installation methods where whether it's in a garage, you don't have to put a loop or drill down for post-tension concrete, and you can glue our sensors down to the ground. So the idea is, is you don't have to x-ray and you don't have to worry about post-tension concrete, a million dollars in damage, or potentially invalidating a membrane warranty. So up in the Northeast where we're based, you know, we're Canadian, we know our snow and slush. You make some holes in a membrane to do something, you have to patch it up well, or you could get some serious issues. Uh Thus, you just glue it down. And then what's also nice is for more Northern outdoor environments, I just embed the sensor in the ground if you have a snow removal problem. So we did 14 lots for the Virginia Railway Express, where they don't get a lot of snow, but they didn't want to worry about their big plows coming in, taking, you know, our rubber humps off the road. So we just drop the sensors in literally like two inches down, cover it with like half an inch of asphalt, and then they're good for a few years. Wow, that's impressive, isn't it? What would you say is the life uh, span? I know it's pretty easy to replace them if it's plug and play without all the power and anything, but what would you say the average uh, we're typically getting life? We're typically getting between three and five years. So I've had some sensors that have worked with us for five years, and there are a few I've had to replace more frequently, but that's also because each lot is different. So the use of the battery of the sensor depends on how busy the lot is. So I have literally an Uber lot at an airport that's 150 spaces. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one in and one out, 150 spaces, but we log over 2,600 parking events from that 150 space lot every day. Man. So the batteries, I will expect to expire sooner than something getting 50 cars a day. And you said, so like no Wi-Fi. So is it not able to pass this data to like an app or how does that work? Great, great lead in. So everybody needs to have these days web connectivity, real-time alerts, and having the parkupancy, parking occupancy information at their fingertips. So what we've done is this, which is actually quite of unique. Many other parking technology companies, if they have different devices, each one might have to be networked individually into online or an ethernet connection or potentially even their own SIM card. What we do at Parking Logics are is whether or not I have one entry exit into a lot or 40, I only require one single SIM connection to send the data to the cloud. So what we have are our systems are composed basically of three different items, a sensor or a controller or repeater, and then a sign. But what happens is, is all of my signs will speak to each other across a lot before they speak to the parent unit, 
that then sent it to the cloud and we use cellular connections. So we are in like Coast Guard. We did a lot for the Pentagon. We're in Fortune 10 companies. We are in major hospital operations. And when it comes to the security review, the fact that we don't even touch their backend network, I take those 72-page security audits that you've done, and I'm done in like four minutes. Wow, I like I don't it. touch their backbone. Yeah, I, I really like that because that's one of my fears as, we, as our cities become more uh, connected, autonomous, smart. Pretty soon we'll have cameras everywhere counting and, and surveying and you know, that there's a security issue. There's a security concern. Think about the, what was it? The pipelines that got hacked by Russia recently. So it's, it's really cool yeah. that you have those protocols and don't rely on, on as At much all. other and systems. Also, also the thing is, is a nature, something that people don't understand too, is that I'm in a really, really lucky position that I actually don't hold any private or personal data. I often tell asset owners or users that all I'm doing is going up or down, counting in or out. I don't know who's coming in. I don't know their license plate number. I don't know what they look like. I don't have their address. All I'm doing is I'm a literally a glorified calculator going plus one, minus one every time a car drives over the sensor. So by not having that private data and by not leveraging on the network, it really simplifies the installation and adoption of our technologies. Yeah, I can, I can see... You know, I'm I'm recommending this solution to any operation because I really like what you're what you're talking about here. But d- depending on the cost, of course. So, well, what does that pricing look like? Is it like a per sensor per car that drives over, or is it you buy this with software as a service? How how do you guys price this solution? Well, you know, we just put our finger up in the air. We see we look at the client's bank account and we charge seventy five percent of the outstanding balance. That's, That's common knowledge in the approach. industry. That's common knowledge in this. So. I guess we have systems that vary in complexity. An outdoor surface lot that have no signage needs is much different than a 10-level garage with many ins and outs. So where we price is, is we price with regard to what is a basic package. And we typically have a basic package that starts literally between six dollars and $7,000 that allows an asset owner to have two sensors, a laptop, software, and what we call a data collector repeater with a two-year warranty, and it allows them to get literally our 99% counts in two lanes, and then they can have this system, they install it themselves, and it is theirs with zero maintenance costs. I do not have a single maintenance contract in over 650 sites we've done. Doesn't mean my resellers don't have maintenance contracts or my partners, but for us, all we do is charge for the hardware. The point where there might be a recurring fee is if that asset owner wants to have uh, web access or API sharing capabilities for the data. The laptop we provide kind of works like remote control with the system. So we provide someone with a laptop that comes with diagnostic software, they can generate reports, but I'd say about 95% of our clients want this stuff in the cloud. So we put a SIM card in, there's like a one-time fee of a few hundred bucks. And then typically the systems start under $100 a month where you get full hosting, SIM card charges. And one of the things that's been really good is we provide unlimited API integrations complementary with the web fee. So when a person's paying, call it sometimes as little as, you know, $85 or $100 a month, they might have it integrated with three widgets, two apps, and then put it on their website. 
we just charge them that one fee and nothing more. And what we do is we make that API available for them to share to anyone and anyone as they want. Yeah, I had that on my list, kind of API and apps and that answer to that. So that's yeah. really impressive. So, and at first I thought, you know, you can only tell total cars in a garage. You can't, you know, you can't get that detailed with the puck per space or per floor, but you can put kind of on the ramps or each floor, right? You can now tell you, you can have signs showing spaces open per level, right? By putting these on different floors. I don't think it's common sense, but- Well, there's actually two things to that. So one, uh, which we'll get into now is that with some newly acquired technologies, we do now have the ability to get to the single space. But first, what I want to do is confirm that, yes, as long as a car is going in and out of a zone, I can have unlimited zones for people to park into. So uh, just last week, we completed a five-level hospital installation in Akron, Ohio, where people wanted to do accounts in between levels. So rather than a sensor simply counting ingress and egress into an overall garage, we just glue the sensor down on a ramp, and then it's counting in and out to another level. So what would happen is a car traverses over the sensor, it will mark an egress out of, call it level ground level, and an ingress into level one. And then when they come down the ramp, it'll do the inverse. So that allows us to give that flexibility. And also what you find is sometimes in surface lodge or garages, there's a valet area that they want to take out of the count, or sometimes yeah, you want to- Nesting, yeah. Nesting. Yeah. You want to have a separate rooftop area because you want to price it differently. Or maybe what you have is an employee garage, but the first floor is visitors. So what we would do is do a count as cars come in. Maybe you only want to show the visitor spaces. So we can literally accommodate any kind of level of differentiation. So people come in, you want that as your visitor's level, but as soon as they drive up to level one, they're in the monthly level. We just take them out of the spaces and only show what the client wants. But more importantly, is we also provide the data on the client wants too. They may still be interested in knowing what's going on in the contract parking and in the visitor parking, and we give them both, but maybe the sign part, they only want to show visitors. So by having our own sign shop, our own software, where 100% of everything is built in Montreal in our office, we have that control to be manipulate it in any way is required. And actually getting to that part, there are issues where, I'll be honest, I have not been able to work with a hospital because maybe a hospital has a thousand space garage and they have 85 ADA spaces. So recently, yep. our parent company completed the acquisition of all traffic solutions. And all I was, okay. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, you kind of flirted with it at the beginning. I had in my notes, I, I saw about, but about the recent acquisition. So uh, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Talk about the wonderful acquisition of all traffic. Well, solutions. first and foremost, we have some amazing people that were brought over to our team. So that is probably the best thing is, is that they have some amazing team members on the sales and technical side that's only going to make parking logics much better. Where ATS, it's interesting. So ATS has almost, I don't want to say 100%, but very close to a 100% complementary business to parking logics. In many cases, yeah, we were competing for zone-based occupancy, but ATS had a past of doing very, uh, I don't want to say complex, but we'll call it creative, high development, catered needs, to very important fortune, in some cases, fortune 10 companies and other institutions across North America. 
where Parking Logics has been largely a standardized product company that has had, you know, and we've had the benefit of that standardization. And we too did sell a few Fortune, you know, 50s uh, along the way. But ATS was able to provide very customized, unique counting and guidance solutions to these people that incorporated the use of both their own ingress and egress detection technologies, but also, as we're calling it in our business, is the hybrid model. So the ability to say is, you know what, there's a thousand spaces here. I don't need a sensor for all thousand, but maybe I want count every level, but I also want the ADA spaces. Or maybe I also want the charging spaces, or I want to take out the reserved spaces from the whole. So look, Isaiah, you know this better than I do with your experience in parking is that every lot is unique. Everyone has a different distribution of private reserved spaces that might need to be treated just a bit different from the whole. And so from this acquisition, we do now have the capability to offer a hybrid solution where we're now working with asset owners to say, like, uh, there's, I don't want to say names, just say a large Fortune 10 company technology campus where they wanted some ADA and reserve spaces with single space sensors and ingress and egress detectors for the rest of the garage. Because in the end, that's really what most people need versus always a sensor or a camera in every single space. That sounds like a perfect marriage. I, I was with Republic Parking when they merged with Impark. Impark was huge in Canada and then some of the major cities in the United States, New York City, Chicago. Uh, Republic Parking was huge in the United States, more, more of the small to middle-sized cities. And so when they merge, it's just perfect bringing the strengths of both of them together. And I see that with all traffic solutions, what the additional abilities they bring and what Parking Logics has uh, yeah. sounds like it was like, perfect, perfect like the, the pipelines weren't overlapping. The deals weren't overlapping. It was very complimentary. And like I said at the beginning, the people there are amazing. And we've really been able to luck out to get some amazing sales and technical and development and building resources. And also, it's not bad having a few people in the States where even though we're a Canadian company, literally 90% of our business is in the States. So having a few more people admit COVID lockdowns who can travel locally is always beneficial. Yeah. That, and that was my question too. Are you just Canada or North America? Do you have you ever done business outside of North America? If we have a few listeners yeah, from other for countries sure. So we have actually done about five different countries. So first and foremost, being part of the Logics ITS umbrella, I have sales and support services in Latin America, in India, and in North America. So we have a whole sales and traffic division in India that supports some parking jobs. But I'll, I'll be honest, parking technologies are priced and managed differently in the Indian market. So I don't really focus a lot of sales there. The Latin American market, we've done probably about 15 to 20 deals over the past five years there, but we are looking into other countries. But look, COVID did block a lot of, call it uh, success or momentum in those markets. But we have picked up some steam in both New Zealand and Australia with some really great partners who are looking to deploy our systems there. And I would say is that probably one of my favorite distributors of ours is based in Ireland, where he's done about 15 or 17 sites with us at major corporations, railways, shopping centers, all across the board. And we've been very lucky to have a great partner in Ireland. Wow. Didn't know you guys were that, that global. Uh, yeah. And I know, can't remember, there's a, like a big association in, in Australia, but I've been eager to get over there because there's a lot going on. Parking's exploding over there. 
But what's interesting is also is that the adoption of different parking technologies in different places. So for instance, there are many strong parking guidance competitors from New Zealand and Australia. You know, you got your like your single space guys, your regular PGS guys. The adoption of sensors in Australia has to be 10x the rest of the world. And it's just fascinating to see how easily they deploy, whether it's wireless sensors, PGS and shopping malls, they love it there, right? And initially, a few years ago, when I was working for, at the time, as an Australian-based parking guidance firm, I was hoping that that adoption would replicate in the States, and slowly it's getting there in time, but they love their sensors there, those guys. And yeah, they're a big place. I don't know why, or maybe they just love writing tickets, whatever it is, but uh, they love it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, a lot going on. Love the love the acquisition. Uh, what what about the future? Are you guys thinking, you know, how, how will your guidance technology work with the autonomous cars on the horizon? I know it may be ten years, twenty years, thirty years, but are you guys thinking about how your solutions can help with? Uh, with yeah. That? Well, you know what? It's interesting how different firms are now playing in the parking realm, and how, I guess, more recently automobile manufacturers or service support people are now trying to take a better look into parking and how their transportation or mobility as a car as a service interplays with parking. You know, uh, Ford just announced a big Detroit parking testing environment there. They have another one in Millennium Park in Chicago where things are going. So obviously these auto manufacturers are thinking about parking. But I guess I'm taking a very long-term approach to it in terms of my thinking. So we are always going to see in the future, potentially, cars could drive around streets with the sensors that are going to be embedded in the car for, uh, what's it called? With the sensors embedded in the car for automated driving, there's a very strong likelihood that those same sensors could be used to find available spaces both on and off street, right? If you have your LIDARs, your sensors, and your cameras on cars driving around looking for stoplights and this and that they could inconceivably updating where spaces are available. The problem is, and that works really well with on-street and depending on the population of autonomous cars, I think that are driving on the street. But when you get to off-street, it gets a little bit tricky, right? Because when you get to off-street, like, look, you might have a garage that was built in the 40s that have like three hidden alleyways that you drive down to another 200 spaces on another level, right? versus a nice, clean, brand new lot that's nice and clear where the spaces are. But the question is, is are those cars going to survey the entire lot looking for spaces to update that information with other cars? I'm not sure. But what I do know is, is even amongst the adoption of these technologies, and so I sort of look at new technologies in three ways. This first, is this technology available? So can these cars find off-street spaces? Kind of yes, kind of no. Two, is it affordable? So we still had people for many years not buying automatic windows in their cars and automatic locks, right? Even though they were available for 20 years, why? They didn't want to spend $1,200 more. I'm dying to get the little thing where you press the button and it starts your car to get warm in the winter while yeah. you're still in the oh, house. I got that. But I got that. I'm, I'm not going to pay for it. I'm Canadian. <laughs> and I got a used car and I came with it. I wouldn't live without that. Yeah. I'm an example though. of yeah. There are these technologies, but it comes down to budget, but go ahead. So, so the question is, is then the final thing is adoption. So when are you going to get to a point where enough people have adopted an autonomous car that can monitor all the streets to get that real-time information? And my gut is, is we're some time away from that. 
But I feel that with a very low cost, low infrastructure, and very affordable and simple to install technology, I can still provide a great level of value to those automakers or just to the drivers to know about where spaces are available. Because the fact is, is actually, this brings into an interesting thing. I look at off-street parking as dark inventory. When you're driving down the street, you don't really know how many spaces are in your lot. Now, if it's a surface lot, you could say, ah, you know, is there a space or not? And you can kind of get a good indication in the four seconds. You're supposed to be looking ahead, but really you're looking to the lot. But with a little bit of account, the ingress and egress, I can bring light to that dark inventory. And I think it's just as beneficial for an autonomous car as it is for a car driven by a grandmother. Love that analogy, the light and dark. And I love that you're thinking beyond parking and that thinking about the future. Man, I was trying to do a segue into your podcast. I've been knocking the okay. segues out of the out of the park here. So tell us about the podcast Beyond Parking. I've listened to a few episodes. I think they're great. What inspired you guys to to do this and uh, how can listeners get a hold of it? I think we are doing a lot of really fun things at Parking Logics. And for a number of years, we've been keeping them kind of, let's just say, close to ourselves. You know what I mean? Close to our chests. I'm not the kind of guy who goes out and says, oh, we won this deal or we did that and marketed it out. And I think we've quietly gained we're almost over 700 projects now in under five years across these countries. Wow. And we've really learned a lot from different places over this time. And we've made new friends over this time both on the customer side, on the partner side. So the parking podcast is really an ability for us to sort of say is, what are the interesting things we're doing that we'd love to be able to share with other clients and friends out there that are really something different they wouldn't think about? And so one of our Beyond Parking podcasts was with strategic uh, insights, like these guys that have worked with us. And what they do is very similar to ourselves and low infrastructure counting. But they're working with national parks, for instance, on counting people, counting number of people on bicycles. They're able to do weather temperature, uh, environmental carbon dioxide emissions. They're also able to put readers on, call it non-digital equipment, like water tanks and other things that normally you'd have to send Bob or Frank out and drive for two hours to a random park to be able to change. And so because that technology is built with a similar mind frame as ours, they became a partner of ours and working with several uh, parks or national parks that we're working with. And that way, it's just something interesting to know because a parking person may have never thought, you know what, actually, I'd be interested in getting a bike count. We have over 250 university sites just in the US alone where we're doing with different parking projects. How many of these university clients would be interested in what's it called? In knowing how many bikes are being driven from on this path? Or would they like to know what the temperature's like on certain parts of campus? Like, I'm sure in Arizona or something, or it's boiling, they'd like to know that. Or in the Northwest, you know, is it minus 40 today somewhere? And tell people Scooters these, yeah. Or noise and yeah. So, all kinds so of parking people right now are focused on parking data. But one of the things we're looking at is what are other data streams that are easily consumable by them as well, but for the purpose of making a proper decision? And so we look at the parking podcast as being an amazing way to take these creative ideas and share them out with people and also bring in our friends. So we've had many cities, you know, and universities who were with us, you know, pre and post COVID. We're planning to do some podcasts talking to them about 
how their lives have changed or how things have changed. And then I'm also looking at bringing in a bunch more of our partners and me taking charge of the podcast. But if you looked on our website before, I had done a lot of Parking Logics minutes. And to be honest, I really want to get some of my other team members on this as well, because for the development of my team going to the future, I feel that these mechanisms as podcasts or interviews or minutes or whatever they do helps train them. Because I do think that this is how business development is done in the future by putting yourself out there and sharing stories with other people. Yeah. And I love one of your taglines from the from the minutes or different videos I found online. They always end with the uh, count us in. I like yeah, the play on words there. That's awesome. <laughs> That's what we do. You know what I mean? We count That's cars. I, you know, we're, we're not bean counters, we're car counters, whatever we are, but uh, we do it well and we love what we do. Absolutely. So how can listeners learn more or follow along with Parking Well, Logic. one, obviously they can come to our website and see some of the amazing podcasts that we have going on in some of our videos, but simply at parkinglogics.com is where they can find a number of different things. And I think, you know, sending someone to your website is one way, you know, maybe to get people to look, but really what I'd like people to understand of that is, is really where can occupancy data help them? And in some of our videos, we go into Certain things, especially online, I had these parking logics minutes that we posted over the past few years that can really actually help not just, you know, do you want to buy an occupancy system, but also ways to use that system. Like Isaiah, one of the funny things I did a posting before is when do you say lot full on your counting system? So whether it's a million dollar PGS system or whether it's a $6,000 parking logic system, when do you turn your sign to say lot full? And there's different things to consider. So we really like taking in, especially in these kind of digital properties, we really like to think of some creative ways that people can use it, or maybe it's determining compliance ratios for gateless slots. We did a little bit of a, an hour or parking minute on those. So there's a lot to learn and everything's right on parkinglogics.com. In addition to amazing case studies we've done with universities, cities, and private owners to show them really the value of an occupancy system. That's great. And I will put the website in the show notes. Uh, I love stuff like that. The question, cause I, I've ran event parking and that was always a question. You don't, you know, we would never wait to one car. We always have that buffer. Cause what if uh, a truck's parked over the line and can't fit in? What if, um, you know, there's always things to think about where, you know, maybe we close it off. We mark it as full with 10 spaces. You got to think about your monthlies. There's all that Correct. balance. So you can Learn more about stuff like that on their podcast, on, on their website. Um, I've used them in some of our operations. They are great, great customer service, plug and play. Highly recommend you all check out the website, reach out to the team, reach out to Josh, follow him on social media because you won't be disappointed. And Josh, lastly, I always just curious who, you know, outside of parking, what do you like to do for fun? What do I like to do for fun? I, you know what? I, I, I think there was a guy, Jeremy Zucker, who I know quite well, who was on here recently. It says, I'm just a dad of three kids. I think he said what he does for fun. So I have a 10 and eight and a five-year-old. And when I am not working, I like to put on my dad hat, even though my dad had, has been on the past two years with them home while I'm working. But uh, look, it's fun. I've actually recently picked up guitar again. I played guitar a number of years ago and I bought myself a new amp for my birthday. So I'm electrified again after many years of being acoustic only. 
I do enjoy to get out and golf. But actually, something that me and my wife do is uh, my wife and I have been, uh, for the most part, actively involved in some of the nonprofit sector. Uh, my wife works with uh, children with special needs and uh, different people on the autism spectrum and such like that. And I have about 15, 20 years experience volunteering there. And also with uh, I, I'm involved uh, with a charity bicycle ride at a Baycrest hospital for Alzheimer's patients in Toronto and the elderly. So I, I try to give back to the community when I can. But I have to say the kids take up like everything. And then what's left over is still a proposal at night at 11 o'clock at night. But I try. <laughs> that's, that's great stuff. I have a 12 and 11 year old. So I, uh, I hear you. Uh, love what you're doing in the community and with your family first. And uh, music, you know, we've, man, we've had every, uh, we could start a band with oh, people on the party sure. podcast. We've had Steve, Steve Resnick and Gary Means on the bass, uh, Mike Bandy on the drums, Mark Lyons. I can't remember what he plays, a guitar or bass. Uh, but, you know uh, what? I was, I was having a conversation we, with someone and I can't remember their name, but it was someone with the Flowbird organization. And they were telling me we were just going into, he's like, oh yeah, I went on tour at Pearl Jam for like three years and something like I went to every show and I can play every song. It's just like, this is, we, we just want to talk rock more than even talking, uh, what's it called? Even talking parking or business. But uh, look, it's nice to know that people are well-rounded that not only come in your podcast, but in our industry, because it's very important for people to have other interests outside of work, because I, I, I think life is... Uh, better, more diverse. Absolutely. And I wish I could be touring and following along with Pearl Jam as well. Yeah, <laughs> but, like that's what I'd want to do. I don't know, follow Grateful Dead for a summer, follow Fish or something like that, that my friends did. I'm too boring for that now. I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> Go touring Home Depots yeah. and Bed Bath & Beyond all summer. That, that's more like what I'm doing. That's like yeah, Home Depot. Yeah, first time. Anyway. Oh, that's funny. Man, Josh, thank you so much uh, for joining the podcast. I had a blast. Can't wait for this to air. I think our listeners are going to love it. As I said, I've used it before. I encourage everyone to check out the website and uh, give them a holler. Thanks, Josh. Have a great weekend. Thank you, guys. And uh, happy to every parking people. Happy weekend. So everyone, thank you so much for listening. To our listeners, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Parking Podcast. Please leave us a review and tell a friend about our show. It would mean a lot. This has been a production of Synchronicity Media, produced by me, Isaiah Mao. Our music and score is by Zona. Our show art and design is by the talented Allison Gilly. You can follow us on social media at The Parking Podcast, or you can find our website with bonus content at parkingcast.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. This episode is brought to you by Parker Technology, the customer experience solution of choice in the parking industry. Parker's solution puts a virtual ambassador in every lane to help parking guests pay and get on their way in under a minute. Parker helps capture revenue, provides better customer service, enables your staff to focus on other on-site tasks, and keeps traffic moving, all according to your business rules. With the Parker solution, you'll also enjoy access to real-time call data and recordings. Learn more at helpmeparker.com slash parkingpodcasts. Are you interested in your parking organization becoming APO, Accredited Parking Organization Certified through the International Parking and Mobility Institute? Or perhaps you're interested in one of your green garages becoming ParkSmart Certified through USGBC? Well, the Parking Podcast is here to help. Our Parking Accreditations Consultants Network will ensure you are matched with the best site reviewer or green garage assessor available for a fraction of the price. Learn more at parkingcast.com consulting. 
This episode is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, publishers of the industry's only soup-to-nuts textbook about all things parking. It's called A Guide to Parking, and several of our guests from previous episodes have contributed to this wonderful little textbook. Learn more and order your own copy at parking-mobility.org textbook.